One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Welcome in, everybody. We. Episode yeah. podcast of the Sweeping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Friday, April 2nd, 2021, people. We got insanity in the college basketball streets. You know what I'm going to be talking about on this show today. Roy Williams, an icon, a legend, the third winningest coach in the history of the sport, retires. North Carolina, now one of the, I believe, two best jobs in college basketball, along with Kentucky, is open. What does it mean? Where do they go? But we will, of course, talk about Roy Williams' legacy as well. Chris Beard, see you later, Lubbock. Hello, Austin. Chris Beard, the rare interconference job switch. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, are we going to have some fun with that one. We will wrap, of course, with, oh, I don't know, just a little Final Four. Gonzaga going for history. Uh, Baylor, of course, trying to win its first national championship. Houston, uh, UCLA, Mick Cronin, craziness in these college basketball streets. I actually want to apologize that I was not able to get this podcast out to you sooner. Hosted radio on Friday and, uh, you know, couldn't get to back to the podcast until late here on Thursday night. But it is craziness. Let's get into all of it. Before we do, I want to remind you, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres podcast. If you are on the KSR feed, Come find me, Google Aaron Torres Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed here. We'll run a few more episodes in March, but for the most part, uh, the, the Aaron Torres Podcast feed is where you want to find me. iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com if you have any questions for the show. And I'd add, I would go find the YouTube page if I was you guys because sometimes, like a perfect example, North Carolina, I don't have time to do a full episode right away, but I did quick reaction to North Carolina, who I think they should hire, which we will get into later in the show. I did it on YouTube, posted it up an hour after the job opened up, and so the point I'm trying to make, extra content on YouTube as well as all the great stuff that's already on this show, so make sure that you are subscribed. And uh, one last little note before we get into today's show, which again, loaded, shout out Roy Williams, shout out Chris Beard giving us so much content, but before we get started, I want to welcome back our friends, our sponsor at PixWise. PixWise is the number one home of free sports betting picks. You can find the who, how, and why behind every pick for every sport, every game, every day, all for free, all at PicksWise.com. Throughout March and now into April, PicksWise is running a college basketball handicapping contest featuring some of the best experts in the game. Get free daily betting picks and analytics er, er, analysis excuse me, from the likes of John Rothstein, Rashad Phillips, and more. Head over to PicksWise.com now to see which expert is hot as they battle it out for the winner-takes-all $10,000 cash prize, the best place to go for not only college basketball betting information, but betting information in general. It's PicksWise. Make your next bet better with PicksWise and PicksWise.com. 
So, yeah, make sure to go to PicksWise. They are a great sponsor. They were with us all March. They will be with us for the next week as we wrap March Madness. But with that said, people, there is no more time to waste. And I'll be perfectly honest. Probably about 24 hours ago, I was kind of wondering, what am I going to do? How much, like, Final Four am I going to preview? So much to get into, so much to talk about, so much to debate. And then all of a sudden, we woke up Thursday, and there was absolute craziness in the college basketball streets as, of course, we all know, what was it, about, what, 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning on Thursday, April 1st, Roy Williams resigns, retires as North Carolina's head coach. Yes, I was one of the hundreds, if not thousands of people that was like, uh, is this an April Fool's joke? Like, I want to tweet this out, but this isn't an April Fool's joke, right? And it isn't as Roy Williams steps away at North Carolina, which, as I said to lead the show, I believe is right up there with Kentucky as one of the two best jobs in college basketball. Um, and so what we're going to do here over the next few minutes is, is look at this from all angles. I want to start with why Roy Williams left, because I think that is very interesting. I want to talk about Roy Williams himself, one of the icons in this sport. Um, you know, a couple personal experiences I had with him. And then I want to wrap by talking about the job itself, because I think it is one of the two best jobs in college basketball. I don't know what North Carolina's plan is, but if they go hit the open market and go after the best possible coach that they can find, I truly believe that they can get the elite of the elite guys and maybe some of these guys that have been pursued for years that weren't going to leave for another job. I do think North Carolina is one of the few jobs that the, those kinds of guys would leave. But let's start with just the news on Friday, Roy or Thursday. Roy Williams decides to step away, calls it a career, 40-plus years in coaching. This guy has seen it all, done it all, been part of everything. Uh, you know, for those of us who watched The Last Dance this summer, he was obviously a longtime assistant coach at North Carolina, was, was the assistant when Michael Jordan was there, when Brad Doherty was there. And it was kind of a, a, a different era of college basketball when he came into and so in terms of the why, I know that there was a lot of college basketball kind of media members that were like, oh, there was rumors about this for weeks. And it's like, yeah, there, it's one thing to have rumors. It's another thing for it to actually happen. For a coach that is still having a ton of success, it's worth noting that uh, he won a national championship in 2017, not that long ago. Uh, he had a number one seed in 2019, the last time there was an NCAA tournament. So it's not as though like this guy has completely fallen off the map and we got to force him out the door. Like He was actually really good, and he actually had a really, really good team coming back next year. But in terms of why he decided to leave, uh, you know, I obviously kind of watched and streamed his press conference kind of in the background while I was doing radio. But but two things kind of stood out in terms of why he decided to leave. And I think they're both important. I think they're both interesting. The first one is it appears as though he decided to leave. Um, you know, and he said this in his press conference, the idea that I don't believe I am the right guy for this head coaching job anymore. And I think, I do think Roy Williams, he obviously has tons of ties dating back 30, 40, 50 years, if you can even go back that far, to the North Carolina coaching job. He coached under Dean Smith. And I do think that he believed that he had a responsibility to keep this program at the highest, highest, highest levels of college basketball. And I don't believe that he feels like that he did that over the last couple of years. Now, I don't think that is fair to Roy Williams, to be perfectly clear. I think he's one of the greatest coaches I've ever seen, one of the great, you know, you know, all elements of coaching. 
I think he's fantastic. But I think he looks back at the last two years. They went 14 and 19 last season, 18 and 11 this year in 2021. And he feels like he let people down. Now, what I would say is what I just said a minute ago. I think it's nonsense. I think he's being too hard on himself. If you go back to last year, yes, they went 14 and 19. That was, of course, remember the Cole Anthony year where Cole Anthony comes in with so much hype. He gets hurt in late December, early January. The team is never the same. They're never able to recover. They missed the NCAA tournament. They actually lost in the ACC tournament before it was canceled. And I'm sitting there saying, like, coach, like, it's okay. You, you get a mulligan. It's allowed when you lose your best player on an already young team. Like, you kind of get a mulligan for that. And so I think he took that season hard, and I do think he took this season hard, where he came in with another really talented team. They finished 18-11 and 11 overall for the first time in the history of his career, dating back to 1988 when he took over as the head coach of Kansas. He lost a first-round tournament game, and so there's obviously great irony there. But again, I think that there is a, a logical reason as to why that team wasn't as good as maybe he thought it was going to be in the preseason. You have a bunch of new players, a bunch of young players. You have a freshman point guard in Caleb Love. You have a freshman backcourt with Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. You have Dayron Sharp. You have all these super young guys, and he didn't have an offseason to coach him. And I think if Roy Williams has the normal offseason that he normally would get, I think that team's really good. I think that team is probably better than an eight seed, and I think they're the team that nobody wants to see in the NCAA tournament, and I think they do some damage. In the same way that, I'm sorry, some of you are going to get mad at me. I'm going to give John Calipari a pass for 2021. I'm going to give Tom Izzo a pass for 2021. I'm going to give Coach K a pass for 2021. It was a weird year. These coaches have kind of a structure as to how they do things in the offseason. They were not allowed to do it. But I only bring it up to say that Roy Williams, in his press conference, basically referenced the last two years of like, I am not maintaining this program at the standard that I believe that it should be at. So credit to him for feeling like, you know what, I'm 70 years old, it's time to step aside, it's time for somebody else to do this job. I don't agree, but that was clearly part of it. On top of that, and this is the part that I think is more interesting, is the stuff that Jeff Goodman reported. And for people who didn't see Jeff Goodman's reports, and Jeff Goodman is super locked in, a great college basketball reporter, he essentially said that Roy Williams, I think, is a little bit frustrated with where college basketball is going. And to be clear, this isn't an indictment on who's right and who's wrong and the coach. Oh, my God, the coach had all the power. Now they have none. And, oh, my God, screw these old guys that are used to doing things a certain way. But I do think there's a lot of coaches in college athletics right now that are kind of frustrated with where things are going. The transfer portal is bananas right now. I mean, I talk to coaches in their late 20s, early 30s that are like, I think of myself as young. And I can't even comprehend what is going on in the transfer portal. You have guys, first of all, you have guys that are just now entering the transfer portal because, again, everyone is expecting this one-time transfer rule to pass where you can transfer once without having to sit out. And you now have players just literally just entering the portal just to kind of see who's interested. Like St. John's on, I think it was Wednesday, had two players, like two really key players to what they do, enter the portal and it was like yeah we'll consider coming back but we just kind of want to see what's out there and so imagine a head coach like Roy Williams who's been around for 40 years now the players are just like yeah we're just gonna we're just gonna enter the portal we'll see and that's on top of the guys that you know in a normal year in you know even four or five years ago um, you know you have a situation like with Walker Kessler and listen I'll tell you this 
I've criticized Dan Wolken from USA Today a lot on this podcast, but I thought he brought up an interesting point, was that basically the transfer of Walker Kessler, who of course was uh, a star freshman this year who didn't get as much playing time as he thought, was basically like the, the, the nail in the coffin for Roy Williams. And like, was that a little bit of an exaggeration? Maybe. But I do think like, like I think that's a real thing. You know, Roy Williams is a coach that for really 30, 40 years... Like he took pride in building programs and developing players and developing relationships. Never forget, it was just a decade ago that he had a roster with Tyler Hansborough as a senior uh, winning a national championship, Ty Lawson, Wayne Ellington are juniors. And he was one of those guys that like really took pride in, I develop young men, I develop kids into young men. Um, and really up until the last year or so, he basically never had kids transfer. Like I saw a stat which kind of blew my mind. Up until this past year, not this year, but 2019-2020, Roy Williams had four total players transfer from the program since he got to North Carolina in 2005. So from 2005 to 2019, he had four players transfer. All four players were from the state of California. And why do I bring it up? It's because any East Coast school that recruits West Coast kids know that it's really hard to keep those kids on the East Coast when they're from the West Coast. Ask a Kentucky fan about Johnny Juzang right now. Well, that was North Carolina. They did not lose a single player who was not from the state of California from, 20, from 2005 to 2019. And it's funny, I remember hearing Roy Williams on John Rothstein's podcast, he was talking about some backup guard that decided to transfer to New Mexico. His name was Jeremiah Francis. And Roy Williams was like legitimately mad about it. And this guy didn't even play. But Roy Williams was like, yeah, you know, I, I spent three years recruiting the kid, building a relationship, going to his home, going to his high school games. And the kid decided to leave. And like, yeah, I'm a little upset about that. So imagine what happens with Walker Kessler, where in a, a, you know, even four or five years ago, Walker Kessler, like, you know, commits to North Carolina. He knows there's a lot of big guys in the rotation ahead of him. And I think even three, four or five years ago, that kid stays at North Carolina. He comes back as a sophomore. He probably is like a fringe all ACC player. By the time he's a junior, he's an All-American. And then he goes to the NBA. And this year, he's just like, I'm bouncing. I'm not staying. I'm not sticking around. And so I think when Roy Williams kind of saw kind of where we are with, with transfers, where we are with college basketball, he's like, I'm 70 years old, man. Like, I don't need to be re-recruiting my roster every year. It's one thing to go out and recruit kids as sophomores, juniors, seniors in high school. It's another thing if I lose a guy to the NBA who is too good for college basketball. Like, if, if, if I lose... Um, you know, whoever, Ty Lawson, Wayne Ellington, uh, Justin Jackson. Like, if I lose those guys to the NBA, okay, whatever. But now I'm going to have to re-recruit my roster every year. I'm going to have to convince kids that are at North Cara freaking Lina to come back for another year because they didn't get what they wanted. He's just like, I I'm kind of good with this. And I actually believe that. And it's a conversation for another day. I think we're at a real tipping point with college sports because Roy Williams, while he didn't say it, is now the second coach to, at the very least, imply this at the highest level of college athletics. Urban Meyer, go back. We talked about it on this show. Urban Meyer basically could have had the Texas job if he wanted it. And Urban Meyer's like, I'm never coaching college football again because I'm going to have to deal with the transfer portal. I'm going to have to deal with name, image, likeness. I'm going to have to deal with, you know, going into a recruit's home 
And now I'm not just talking about mom and dad and the education and the, the opportunities that we can provide. I'm going to have an agent there asking me about the local car dealership. I'm going to have an agent there talking about, you know, what, 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 what can you do for me financially? And I remember like, if I want to coach pros, I'll just go coaching the pros, which is what he's doing with Jacksonville Jaguars. And I do think we're going to get to that point in college sports where a lot of these guys say, like, again, if I want to go coach, if I want to coach pro athletes, I'll just go to the pros. I won't have to deal with recruiting. I won't have to deal with boosters. I won't have to deal with ADs. And, like, I think that's where we kind of are, and I think that's where North Carolina got, or, or Roy Williams got at North Carolina. He's just like, dude, I, like, like I, I've been doing this for 40 years. I don't want to have to convince some 18-year-old backup why he needs me and why he needs to come back. Like, I'm just going to move on and play golf and chill and hang with my grandkids. And so Roy Williams is done. And with it, I do want to talk a little bit about his legacy because it's really interesting, right? And, and you know, all these coaches and play, everybody in sports, they all have, you know, there's all these narratives about him. And I hate to say it, but, like, I, you know, I don't think Roy Williams has ever been fairly accurately judged as a college basketball coach. Keep in mind, this was a guy that was an assistant under Dean Smith, as I referenced a minute ago. And, you know, through no fault of his own, uh, he went straight from being the lead assistant, Dean Smith's right-hand man, to the head coach at Kansas University. Um, I don't know what the equivalent of that is. I guess, you know, I'm going to do like my Colin Cowherd, and I love Colin, he's a friend of mine, but like, I'm going to do my Colin Cowherd impression. That's like going from being the number two at Amazon to the number one it's at Google. Like, like the, you know, Roy Williams never had to go to like Western Carolina or Eastern Kentucky or, um, you know, Illinois Tech or whatever. Like he just went from like the best assistant job in the country to one of the five best head coaching jobs in the country to another great coaching job from Kansas to North Carolina. And I think he's always, that's always been held against him. Like he never had to take the really crappy job and take over the two and 20 program and get him to the NCAA tournament as a 16 seed. Like he never had to do that. But I, I still look at it, you know, and I think when, when I talk about that, what I would say is that I, I do think there's a lot of people that are sitting there kind of saying like, you know, he didn't have to grind. Like anyone could take Kansas and North Carolina and do what he did. And I'm not going to sit here and say, like, Kansas, relatively speaking, isn't a great job and that North Carolina, relatively speaking, isn't a great job. But what I would also say is, like, this idea that anyone can do it is blasphemous. Matt Doherty, hate to say it, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast. He came out about two months ago. You should go back and listen to that interview. Like, Matt Doherty talked about, like, North Carolina is a really hard job. It's a pressure cooker. From day one, it's national championship or bust from the second you walk on campus every single year until the second that you leave. Same with Kansas. And Roy Williams, for the most part, like, really had insane success. This is a guy that over the course of 30 years went to nine Final Fours, won three national championships, and there were so many years where he was right on the brink. And it's funny because, you know, I sit here as kind of a, a college basketball fan and an enthusiast and somebody who loves the sport. But I'm old enough to remember when, like, Roy Williams couldn't win the big one. That was like a real conversation. First of all, it shows you how long he has been in this sport. He coached in the 1991 National Championship game against Grant Hill, who is now calling games with a gray beard at 48, 49 years old. Bobby Hurley coaching against Bobby Hurley, who's the head coach at Arizona State. Um, 
but you know, Roy Williams has been around for a while, but like there were so many teams in the nineties that it was just like, that's the team. It didn't happen. Ninety seven is one that comes to mind. Ninety seven, you know, many believe was one of the best teams to never win the national championship. They had Paul Pierce, they had Jacques Vaughn, they had Ray LaFrance, but I'm just rambling here. The point I'm trying to make is this guy, yes, he was at two elite programs, but he basically went from nineteen eighty eight until two thousand twenty one and like basically had a team that could win a national championship essentially every single season, which is insane to think about. And so to me, this idea that Roy Williams, oh, he's not, the, you know, well, like, like, no, Roy Williams is an all-time great, 902 wins. I don't care where he started. What I care about is what he did on those jobs. And again, I've seen what Matt Doherty was like at North Carolina. I've seen, by the way, and I, I actually think Bill Self is like a, a coaching genius. But all of a sudden, you don't give Bill Self players? You know, he's losing to some teams that he shouldn't lose to. And so this idea that Roy Williams is like, oh, it's only because he had these jobs. It's like, it's preposterous. He is an all-time great. And again, um, I'm going to miss him. You know, he is another one. I talked about this with Lon Kruger the other day when Lon Kruger took the uh, retirement path as well. He's going to go, you know, work with his son at UNLV. But like Lon Kruger, and I'm old. Lon Kruger was a head coach before I was even born. Like, I think his first job was in 1983, and Roy Williams isn't far behind. Like, he took over Kansas, like, in 1988. I was alive, but I don't remember. Like, I don't remember Danny Manning in the Miracles. I don't remember Grant Hill in the Final Four. And so as a college basketball fan, Roy Williams has been a part of me as a college basketball consumer every moment that I've been a college basketball fan for as long as I can remember. It's going to be weird, by the way, when Coach K leaves. It's going to be weird when Jim Beheim leaves. And it's going to be really weird thinking about North Carolina without Roy Williams on that sideline. I mean, you know, I was in college when he got that job. I, I, I'm almost certain his first year at North Carolina, either his first year or his second year when he had Ray Felton, he came to the then Hartford Civic Center, shout out Connecticut, um, which is now the Excel Center, and he played there. And like that was like a really cool experience for me as a college kid to have Roy Williams walk into my building and be like, oh, that's Roy Williams. That's really cool. Uh, before we get to the job itself, just a couple quick things. I just want to say very quickly, the other thing that stands, like, like, like now I'm in like the historic, like relevance, thinking about like his career mode. And what I will say is one thing I'll give Roy Williams credit for is he struck me as a guy who never took himself too seriously. Um, I'm just going to say it. Like Coach K, you know, kind of holds himself to a certain, you know, aura. And I don't think he's very approachable. And I don't think he's easy to track down for an interview. And I think you got to know somebody who knows somebody who knows Coach K to get any traction with him. Um, you know, Jim Beheim's kind of the same. There's a lot of guys like that. Roy Williams isn't like that. Let me tell you a quick story about Roy Williams. Because I just think he's like, he's still that down home, you know, North Carolina mountain boy, you know, Asheville, North Carolina dude. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story about him. I've only interviewed him one-on-one -on -one once. Now, I've been in press conferences, media availabilities, all that stuff. Um, but with Roy Williams, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, when I first started at FoxSports.com, not when I first started, but, but I was working with a new editor, and it was the year that the Cleveland Cavaliers won the, nat won the championship with LeBron James to come back from 3-1 deficit. And if you remember... Um, they had the championship parade and everybody's going crazy. And J.R. Smith just did not wear a shirt for like two weeks straight, like everywhere. He's at the golf course. He's at the swimming pool. He's at the parade. He's at the, this, he's, at, he's not wearing a shirt anywhere. Cleveland Indians games, whatever. And so I pitched my editor. I said, you know, 
J.R. Smith was committed to North Carolina, and he almost played at North Carolina. I wonder what Roy Williams thinks about that dude and if he could have actually coached that dude and gone through to him. And so my editor's like, yeah, I mean, whatever. I mean, you'll, you'll never connect with Roy Williams, whatever. Here's the thing with A.T., though. A.T. does what A.T. wants, and, you know, you don't get to – and I'm not saying this to brag, but, like, you know, you, you got to knock down some doors to get there. And so, sure enough, I reach out to North Carolina, and sure enough, Roy Williams gets on the phone and talks with me for about 20 minutes about J.R. Smith. And if you Google, like, Aaron Torres, Roy Williams, J.R. Smith, you can still find, like, part of the article. The, the top part is chopped off. But we talked for a long time, and, 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 like, all I remember was, like, it was, like, just talking to my uncle. Like, oh, you recruited this, like, wild child. Like, what do you think it would have been like to coach him? And he's like, well, I'll tell you this. Let me tell you. I would have made J.R. Smith put his shirt on. I'll tell you that much. And it's like, that was Roy Williams. Like, like he picked up the phone. Yes, it was June. It was a little bit of a downtime for him. But he picked up the phone. He talked about a kid that he had never recruited. And we had a good time. And I always respected him for it. And I always appreciated it for him because it was such a random, obscure story. And he made time for me. So that's my Roy Williams story. Now let's get into, I guess, what is probably the most interesting part. And that is, like, what is North Carolina going to do as for their next head coach? And I, I, what, what's interesting about this is that there are kind of two different avenues of thought. There are the avenue, that like, the, like, and there's two different kind of even in my head thoughts. There's, like, what I would do if I was at North Carolina and what North Carolina would do. And what I'm afraid North Carolina is going to do is that they're going to do the whole North Carolina family thing. And, like, this is kind of how they got in trouble in the first place. Dean Smith retires. His longtime assistant, Bill Guthridge, takes over. Roy Williams actually turned them down the first time. And they went and got Matt Doherty. And I love Matt Doherty. He was great. He gave me an hour of his time on this podcast. Um, But they didn't go get the best coach. And they completely flatlined. And thankfully, Roy Williams saved him. And what I am afraid of is that they are going to go ahead and kind of stay in the family. And we'll talk about the, the candidates in the family. I don't think there's a lot of good candidates in the North Carolina family on the North Carolina tree. And so that is why, to me, what North Carolina should do is go get the single biggest name that you can possibly get. And before I get into potential guys, I want to tell you guys another quick side story because it really struck me on Thursday as I was thinking about this job. I truly believe that there are two jobs that are cut above everybody else in college basketball, Kentucky and North Carolina. You could put them in whatever order, um, but those are the two, two jobs, and maybe you include Kansas, but even Kansas lost their last coach to North Carolina. That was Roy Williams. But Kentucky and North Carolina, you're a big public state school. You have the support of the state. Um, you have an insane fan base, a ton of resources, a ton of history, a ton of success. Um, you know, and like, like all of that stuff matters, like even Indiana and I like, obviously I've talked a ton about Indiana the last month. I think Indiana is still a really good job, but they don't have all that stuff. They haven't been relevant in 30 years. Like there are high school kids that still remember North Carolina being a national championship team in a way that high school kids do not remember Indiana being on that level. And so to me, when I think about North Carolina, I think you got to go after the single biggest name that you can possibly get. And I do think that North Carolina, along with Kentucky, is maybe the only two jobs in the country where you can call some guys that you wouldn't normally call. And let me, let me again, tell a story to explain. When I did my Kentucky book, um, you know, I remember calling John Calipari. For people who don't know, I wrote a book about the 2010 Kentucky Wildcats. Still available on Amazon. You should go buy it. Help support your boy. Um, but I, I wrote a book about the Kentucky Wildcats. And I remember John asking John Calipari vividly. I said, Coach Cal, you know, 
why did you leave? You know, why, why, why did you leave Memphis? You had things rolling at Memphis. For people who don't remember, John Calipari was a juggernaut at Memphis. And it's easy. I know Calipari's coming off a bad year. Here were Calipari's last four seasons at Memphis. 33-4 and four, Elite Eight trip. 33-4 and four, Elite Eight trip. 38-2 and two, national runner-up when they had Derrick Rose. 33-4 and four in the Sweet 16. And I asked Coach Cal, I said, you had it rolling. And oh, by the way, you had DeMarcus Cousins and all these guys committed. You would have had it kept rolling if you had stayed at Memphis instead of going to Kentucky. And so I said, Coach, why'd you leave? And he said to me, he said, I don't even think he said Aaron because I don't think he even knows my name. But he said, you know, the reason I left is because it's Kentucky. And when Kentucky calls, you don't say no to Kentucky. And so I bring that up because that is how I feel about North Carolina. When North Carolina calls, there are people that have turned down a lot of other jobs that I'm telling you, they're going to listen because it's North Carolina, because it is everything that I said, the multiple national championships, Michael Jordan, jump, uh, uh, Jordan Brand, the Jumpman logo, uh, you know, recent success, state school, 20,000-seat arena. North Carolina provides some things that literally only one, maybe two jobs in the country can provide. And it's a lot different to get a call from North Carolina than it is from, say, even a good program like, you know, Tennessee. And I'm not knocking Tennessee or, um, you know, whoever, Alabama, Arkansas, um, Syracuse, like like Syracuse, like Michigan's a really good job. There's a lot of people that have turned down Michigan. There's not very many people that have turned down North Carolina. And so if I was North Carolina's AD, you know who the first call I would make is? I would call Mark Few. And I know Mark Few's turned down every job under the sun. But there is a difference between North Carolina and, say, Oregon or Washington or USC or even UCLA. There is a difference between those jobs in North Carolina. And Mark Few would be my first choice for obvious reasons, not just because he's on the precipice of history, which we'll talk about in a minute, but because of the way he has built Gonzaga. And when you look at Gonzaga, what I love about Mark Few, one, he's got a great style of play, but two, he has his system, he recruits a certain way, he identifies a certain way, he develops a certain way, and what my fear is, is if you go in-house or you get somebody that's not ready for the job, they're going to do what, they th- what, what people think you're supposed to do it when you go to North Carolina, which is recruit the best players, the, the, the highest-ranked players, and that's not like, like Mark Few. Mark Few has found that perfect balance of recruiting the right one-and-done high school players, Jalen Suggs, Hunter Salas next year. He has found the right guys that, that yes, they're super elite and will probably only be in college for one year, but they're going to come here and do what we need them to do to have success. It's not about them. And I do worry about North Carolina. Somebody's going to feel like, I got to go go to the top 10 of the recruiting services and recruit all those guys. And that is not how you have success anywhere. It has to be the right kids. Mark Few also has found the right transfers. I think it's very interesting that Roy Williams was kind of out because of all these transfers. And, uh, oh, by the way, Mark Few, Andrew Nemhard, in this year's starting lineup, Nigel Williams-Goss was the starting point guard of the national championship season. Walker Kessler, who left North Carolina, might end up at Gonzaga. Like, like Mark Few has kind of understood and embraced the transfer stuff. He's also great, obviously, internationally. And so to me, Mark Few would be my first call. On top of that, not only does he run a great system, but he, he develops players within his program. That's the thing that stands out to me. 
And if you go deep into my my uh, either uh, podcast or YouTube archives, I did like a great segment about a year ago where I, I kind of made the argument like, I kind of think that Mark Few is probably the best pure basketball coach in college basketball from the perspective of, yes, I know he wins a lot of games and his conference stinks. But like if you just look at his talent identification, Corey Kispert was not a five-star kid. He was a fringe top 100 player who Mark Few has turned into a lottery pick. Joel, my boy, was not a, you know, he couldn't even play his freshman year. Rui Hachimura couldn't even get on the court his freshman year and ended up being a lottery pick and is having success in the NBA. And so to me, if I'm North Carolina, call Mark Few and make him say no. He said no everywhere else. He's probably going to say no here, but I'd make him say no. Same with Jay Wright. I don't think he's going to leave. Two national championships, Philly guy. He was an assistant coach at Villanova forever before taking over that job. But guess what? We're going to talk about Chris Beard in a minute. Chris Beard was an assistant for 10 years at Texas Tech, then the head coach, ton of success, and he just bounced. So maybe Jay Wright, dude, you, you, you know, you've done everything you can at Villanova. I'd call him. I'd call the NBA guys. Billy Donovan. I don't think at this point he's coming back to college, but I mean, there's, there's probably two jobs he's going to take at this point. It's either going to be Kentucky or North Carolina. It's hard to say no to North Carolina again. Same with Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens, for what it's worth, he was asked about Indiana, and he kind of waffled like, yeah, you know, I'm not really interested, but maybe, you know. And then it took till the second press conference for him to say no. And the final guy I would call, and you'd have to get the boosters in line and have some paychecks ready for this one. But again, you're North Carolina. Make it happen. I'd call Nate Oates. Nate Oates has an absurd $12 million buyout to get him out of his current Alabama contract. Um, and I think to Greg Byrne, the Alabama AD's credit, He's done every single thing he can to ensure that Nate Oates doesn't leave. But if you're North Carolina, you're North Carolina. Get your boosters in line. Get the $12 million. Buy Nate Oates. Buy, buy Nate Oates' contract out. Offer him $7 million a year. Bring him to Chapel Hill. You think that style of play, the way he recruits, the way he hits the transfer point, you don't think that'll work? Because I think Nate Oates would kill at North Carolina. And so those what is those are the guys that I would target. And what I do think will happen, unfortunately, is the exact opposite. North Carolina is a program that is steeped in history, steeped in tradition. And the one thing they love is to take care of their own and to keep it in-house. And I talked to Matt Doherty about this. Go back and listen to the podcast. Matt Doherty was awesome. But I talked to Matt Doherty, and he's like, yeah, it's just different when you walk in a kid's house and you can tell them what North Carolina did for you, what it means to be a Tar Heel, what it means to be a Tar Heel in the state of North Carolina. And Matt Doherty like laid it out, and I get it. The problem for North Carolina is I don't think that there is that guy in the coaching tree that makes sense. Now, I will say, if you are going to keep it in-house, I would hire the lead assistant on this staff right now today. I'd hire Hubert Davis. Hubert Davis, of course, for people who don't remember, long time, first of all, Tar Heel All-American, longtime NBA player, played on those great early 90s Knicks teams, which sounds crazy, great Knicks teams, with Patrick Ewing and John Starks and all them. And he's been an assistant at Carolina since like 2012. And he wants to be a head coach, and his dream is to be the North Carolina head coach. And if you're going to keep him in the family, I just keep him. Because if you keep him, that means that you basically keep the roster intact. Uh, and there's a lot of good players in the program right now. Armando Baycott, Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, all that stuff. Uh, if, if you don't go him, that's when it starts to get dicey to me. People were talking about Jerry Stackhouse because he's a former Tar Heel. And I said it on Twitter. Like, one, I'm sorry, 
But Jerry Stackhouse has not shown a proclivity at all or even an interest in recruiting. It's funny, my buddy Rob Douster mentioned, well, you know, if you just hire two assistants that love to recruit, it's like, if your head coach doesn't love to recruit, it's kind of hard to have success at this level. Like, Roy Williams, say what you want, love to recruit. John Calipari loves to recruit. Um, You know, Tom Izzo, in his own way, loves to recruit. If you don't love to recruit as a head coach, Jim Calhoun, I know that program intimately, loved to recruit, loved to be on the road, loved to be in the gym. If you don't love to recruit, it's going to be hard. And on top of that, let's never forget, Jerry Stackhouse, that was the guy, in case everybody forgot, that was DMing Vandy fans, telling them they're not real fans. It's kind of hard if you're reading all the mentions, if you're reading your name on Twitter at North Carolina. What's going to happen when they lose two games in a row? What happens when they lose at home to NC State? Because I'm pretty sure you can't just be DMing North Carolina fans. So to me, Jerry Stackhouse is a no-go. There's another dude named Wes Miller at UNC Greensboro. I'm sorry, I don't see it. About two NCAA tournaments in 10 years. Not saying that he can't have success down the road, but this is North Cara freaking Lina. So to me, yes, I would be that AD that rallies the troops, rallies the boosters, and says, get out your checkbook, we're going to get that star. Whether it's Jay Wright, whether it's, I didn't even mention Tony Bennett from Virginia, um, you know, Mark Few, Brad Stevens, Billy, I don't care. Because this is North Carolina freaking line, okay? This is not, there's, there's, I'm telling you, it's Kentucky, it's North Carolina, maybe Kansas, maybe Duke when Duke opens, and that's it. They are on a different level, they are on a different playing field. I make all those guys say no before I get out of here. All right, uh, that is 35 solid freaking minutes on North Carolina. This is what I'm going to do. Take a quick break, come back, talk Chris Beard, talk Final Four. We will get out of here. Uh, but it was a crazy day. So forgive me. I had a lot to say about North Carolina. But we'll be back. We'll talk Chris Beard momentarily. All right, everybody. I am back. Uh, Yeah, went went a little bit long on North Carolina last segment. But, like, this feels like the kind of topic that you kind of go long on. North Carolina is, in every sense of the word, a true blue blood, a true elite program. Um, you know, it's not one of those fake blue bloods like like, Villan- like Villanova thinks they're a blue blood. Like, North Carolina really is a blue blood. And I'm going to be so fascinated to see what happens with this job over the coming weeks. And I would add on top of that, um, you know, it also felt we need to give some respect to Roy Williams, an all-time icon. He's been around forever. He's been part of all of our lives forever as college basketball fans. And it's sorry to see him go. It's, bum- it's a bummer to see him go. But at the same time, in addition to North Carolina, we do have to move on to other stuff. And let's talk about the other big coaching news of Thursday, because right after Roy Williams announces that he is leaving North Carolina to retire, uh, we also find out that Chris Beard is leaving Texas Tech to go to Texas. And it was kind of this story that had been percolating, not just over the last week or so, but really about the last three, four, five, maybe not five years, but last two, three years, where we all kind of knew like Shaka's probably not going to make it long term at Texas. And we all know that Chris Beard has a history with that university. And the question always was, was like, will he legitimately leave Texas Tech for Texas in that conference? Uh, And so when it happened on on on, uh, you know, on Thursday, a lot of you guys kind of reached out to me and said, like, are you surprised by this? And I think in some ways I'm very surprised. And I think in some ways I'm not surprised at all. From the not surprised perspective, I think there's a few ways to look at it. One, like I just said, he has real ties at the University of Texas. Uh, He was a student manager there, worked under Tom Penders. He has talked very publicly about how much he loves the University of Texas, that community, Austin, all that kind of stuff. So that's not surprising. On top of that, 
Texas Tech fans don't want to hear this, but like it's not as though he didn't have a history of job hopping before he got to Texas Tech. And for people who don't know his background, he was at Texas Tech as an assistant coach for 10 years. And so Texas Tech fans have convinced themselves, like, I'll never leave Texas Tech. And it's like, well, just look at his track record before he got there. Yes, he was an assistant at Texas Tech for 10 years. But let's also not forget that after that, where did he go? Well, he went to the ABA first for a minute. Then he goes from to a D2 job. Then he goes from one D2 job to another D2 job. Then he goes from the second D2 job to Little Rock. Then he goes to the NCAA tournament, Little Rock in year one, and he bounces to UNLV. And then in year one at UNLV, or excuse me, year one, after like a week at UNLV, he leaves to go to Texas Tech. So like stop with the like, he's going to be here forever. I mean, the guy just, he, he came to you guys at Texas Tech after he had a job for like a week, okay? It might have been 10 days, it might have been two weeks, I don't remember what it was. It wasn't very long, and he ended up at your school. So the idea that he was going to stay there forever and he was going to be eternally loyal, like, I'm sorry, I just never bought it. And then three, let's just think about the last week. Shaka Smart decided to leave for Marquette on Friday, okay? It's now Thursday, and it really did strike me, and for people who do not know, uh, Chris Beard, it was pretty well documented. He had a clause in his contract where his buyout went up uh, if he left for a school also in the Big 12. And the idea kind of behind that is it was kind of simple. It was just the idea was, hey, we don't want this guy going to Texas. And so it was going to cost more to buy him out of his Texas Tech contract for a, conf- for a school in the Big 12 than it was for a school outside of the Big 12. But on April 1st, that, that buyout went down. It went down from, I think, $5 million to $4 million. And so I bring that up because it kind of hit me on Wednesday night. I was kind of like, well, wait a second now. Uh, Texas's job opened up on Friday. It's now Wednesday, and we have not heard a single peep from Texas, from anybody, from any reporter on what is going on with that job search. Like, name another major job search, college football, college basketball, where Six days go by, and we don't hear anything. On the flip side, Chris Beard, all it takes is one little Twitter statement. I love being a Red Raider. I'm never leaving. I'm happy to be here. That didn't happen. And so it kind of hit me on Wednesday, like, wait a second now. I think this thing might really happen. Like, I, I think Thursday, when his buyout goes down, he might end up being the head coach at the University of Texas. And so, of course, it happens. And I will also say, like, while it wasn't surprising from those regards, like, it is still surprising because he left one state school for another in the same conference. And I'll just tell you, like, point blank, I actually think it's kind of good for college basketball. Like, I think we need some, like, genuine hatred and anger between schools and fan bases and teams. And every time, at least for the next few years, that Chris Beard goes to coach at Texas Tech, it's going to be freaking electric. It's going to be insane. Can you imagine that first game at Texas Tech when Texas walks in the building with Chris Beard as their head coach? It's going to be bananas. And so I, you know, I'm not a Texas Tech fan, but I like it. I think it's good for college basketball. And I also think it's good for college basketball because I think, you know, to quote Michael Jordan, the ceiling is the roof for Texas basketball. And what I mean by that is with Chris Beard now in the fold at Texas, I think we could legitimately be talking about a sleeping giant that becomes one of the elite programs in college basketball. And here's why. First of all, we know Chris Beard's a stud. We'll get into that in a minute. But you talk to coaches around college basketball, they will tell you straight up, Texas is one of the best and most underrated jobs in college basketball. Reasons are pretty simple. Uh, Big state university, just money pouring out of everywhere. I mean, there is no 
nothing that you will need as a head coach if you're winning that you will not get signed off for, whether it's more staff, whether it's higher paid assistance, whether it's charter this, whether it's new facility that. Uh, and for people who don't know, Texas is building a brand new arena right on campus there. So that is a selling point. And then it comes down to players. Like Texas, you know, we all think of like Chicago and like New York City as these, these, these basketball hubs. Look at where all the players are coming from right now. It's the state of Texas. Kate Cunningham's from Texas. Uh, RJ Hampton was from Texas. Um, you know, Damian Collins, who just committed to Kentucky, is from Memphis. Ty- Tyrese Maxey's from Memphis. Or Memphis, Texas, Texas. You get the point I'm trying to make. Texas. Think about everybody from Texas. Cade Cunningham, Tyrese Maxey, RJ Hampton, Jared Allen, Damian Collins. There's a reason, by the way, that John Calipari recruited Jay Lucas specifically to be his one of his lead recruiting assistants. It's because he knows I have to have a footprint in Texas to have success. And so you think about the the players that are there. You think about what Chris Beard is now going to be able to recruit to. And I'm telling you, this program could blow up. That's on top of the fact that think about what he did at Texas Tech, okay? Texas Tech, like with all due respect, Texas Tech had essentially no basketball history before Chris Beard arrived. I looked it up just to make sure. They made a grand total of two Sweet 16s in the 40 years before Chris Beard arrived, one of them was under Bobby Knight, and we know how Bobby Knight kind of ended up at Texas Tech after Indiana. But other than that, one Sweet 16 in the 40 years before Chris Beard arrived. Year two, you know what Chris Beard does? Blows past the Sweet 16, goes to the Elite Eight. Year three, you know what Chris Beard does? Blows past the Elite Eight, goes to the Final Four, plays for a national championship. And Texas Tech was like literally a player or two away from winning a national championship in 2019. Go back and watch that game. And so when you think about what he did in such a short time at Texas Tech, there's no reason to think that he can't have the same effect at Texas. I don't know that he will. None of these hires are 100%. Uh, you know, but 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 I, I you can't get better than Chris Beard at Texas Tech. And I'll tell you this, like outside of North Carolina hiring, you know, Mark Fewer, Jay Wright, like Texas is going to have made the best hire of the coaching carousel. And I'm telling you, this thing is like, you know, uh, kerosene. It's going to blow up if Chris Beard does what we all expect him to do. And what I'll also say is like, I think that is the probably the most interesting element of it all. How does he go about building this Texas program? Because the one thing that is interesting, you know, Shaka Smart kind of came havoc, physical, you know, you know, like under-recruited kids, coach him up, all that stuff. And he got to Texas, he immediately started recruiting those five-star kids, and he did not have the same level of success. And so from Chris Beard's perspective, I'm curious, does he still go the transfer route? Does he still go the chip-on-their-shoulder route? But I do believe that no matter what he does, even if he goes after those five-stars, he is still going to coach the crap out of them, get them playing at a high level, and get Texas Tech or get Texas back into the elite of college basketball. And so I can't make any promises, but you can go ahead and tag this Twitter uh, or tag this, uh, this, this podcast because I believe that we are talking about a situation where in the next two or three years, Texas Tech could be like one of the top five programs in college basketball. I'm not even kidding. This guy is that good. Really quickly on Texas Tech, like all I'll say is like I genuinely feel bad for Texas Tech fans. I mean, Chris Beard is a once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-generation head coach for a place like university, for like Texas Tech. I mean, just 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 think about what he did at Texas Tech. Like I said, two Sweet 16s in 40 years before Chris Beard got there. The equivalent that I would make, what he did at Texas Tech, and for people that are new to college basketball, this would be the equivalent of somebody going to Ole Miss and in year two having them in the Elite Eight and in year three having them compete for a national championship. It's the equivalent of somebody going to Washington State 
and having Washington State playing for a national championship by year two. It's the equivalent of going to um, Virginia Tech and having Virginia Tech playing for a national like, like It is so hard. It is so impossible. No disrespect to Texas Tech fans, but I do feel bad for them because when you have a once-in-a-generation coach, once-in-a-lifetime coach, you know sometimes you get to keep them. I'm a UConn alum. We got Jim Calhoun. We got to keep him for 30 years and or 20 years, whatever it was, 25 years. And it was an incredible run, multiple national championships and whatever. But there's also a lot of schools that aren't like that. I mean, I remember the day that Chip Kelly left Oregon football. And I know it's easy to like tear down Chip Kelly now because of what he did at UCLA. But I remember like like with Oregon, it was like they will never have this again. Like, like that guy, they will never have that guy again. They were the most exciting, you know, program in college football. They scored a million points. They played for a national championship. If there had been a college football playoff back in that day, they would have gone four straight years, which is inconceivable to think about where the Pac-12 is at now. And I remember sitting there, like, thinking about for Oregon's, Oregon fans, like, man, you guys are going to be good, but you're never going to have that again. And that's kind of how I feel about Texas Tech. And it's funny, last little side story, but I was at the 2019 Final Four in Minneapolis when obviously Texas Tech made their incredible run. Um, And I remember I had to leave early Saturday morning to catch a flight back to L.A. And I'm checking out of my hotel at no lie, like probably 345, 4 o'clock. And I I have a flight at 515 or whatever, and I got to get back to L.A. to do radio and all that. And uh, I just remember walking through the lobby and crossing paths with these Texas Tech Red Raider fans, cowboy hats on, bringing in a pizza, hammered at like four in the morning as I'm checking out. And I just, they looked so happy and they were having so much fun. And I think about those guys and I'm like, I wonder where they're at right now. I wonder what they're doing because, you know, Texas Tech fans, I do think I got the sense that they realized, hey, this might not last forever. Let's enjoy this. They had a huge presence at the Final Four. I hope they get this higher right, but it's hard to imagine them getting better than Chris Beard. All right, really quickly, let's get out of here. Uh, Final Four. I mean, it's incredible, right? I just did an hour's worth of content and I barely talked about the Final Four. Um, and what I'll tell you is like, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't like, I didn't, I don't, I don't feel the need to overly break down these games and spend 45 minutes talking about each matchup. I will get into them. I will talk about them. And let me start with Gonzaga UCLA. Now I will say from UCLA's perspective, the last two games I thought were really bad matchups for UCLA, Arizona in the sweet 16, Michigan in the elite eight. Um, and they won both games. (laughs) And so what I would say is that, you know, I think, Gonzaga is a bad matchup for them. So, I mean, I could just be wrong. I've been wrong the last two games, but I'll be honest. Like, I, I think Gonzaga is a really bad matchup for Michigan State, and let me explain why. Or for, for Gonzaga is a bad matchup for UCLA, and let me explain why. I think when I look at this situation for UCLA, first of all, we do have to look at how they got to this Final Four. You have to think about the fact that they played Alabama in the Sweet 16. I thought they were the better team. I thought they were the more deserving team, and I don't want to take away from what UCLA did in that Sweet 16 game when they played Alabama, but like, like, like we can't lie either, and they got pretty lucky to get by Alabama. I mean, you look at what happened in that game. Alabama shoots 11 for 25 from three in that game. UCLA survives in overtime, um, but that was a game that Alabama easily could have won. And then you go to the Elite Eight, They play Michigan. Again, they're the deserving team. They deserve to win. But let's also call a spade a spade. They scored 51 points, and 28 of them came from Johnny Juzang. And if Johnny Juzang misses one jump or one three-pointer, 
they end up beating Michigan. And so I don't want to jinx Gonzaga here, but like I just think like Gonzaga scored 49 points in their game the other day against USC, which is a better defensive team than UCLA. And they are now playing, you know, against, you know, they're playing a UCLA team which scored 51 points total in their last game. I would also say Gonzaga is one of the biggest favorites in Final Four history. I know it's easy to default to that like 1991 UNLV team. It's a completely different deal. That UNLV team was the reigning national champion. They were playing the team that they had just beaten in the Final Four the year before by 30. This is a different deal for Gonzaga. And if you actually look at the numbers, you actually look at the data, big favorites in the Final Four actually generally usually have pretty good success. Um, you know, you go back to the year that Michigan played Loyola Chicago. They destroyed Loyola Chicago. Great story, but Loyola Chicago gets there, they get destroyed. Um, you know, the the year before that, uh, when the uh, Final Four was in Houston or Phoenix, I believe, or whatever, the one in Houston where North Carolina played Syracuse, ironically North Carolina. They played Syracuse twice in the regular season. Syracuse makes a magical run. Syracuse is a big underdog. Syracuse gets absolutely destroyed in that, in that Final Four. And so the history of really good teams uh, playing teams that, that kind of got lucky to get into the Final Four and basically these major, major double-figure favorites, they usually actually do pretty well once they get to the Final Four. I'm looking, North Carolina beat Syracuse by 17 that year. Gonzaga's about a 14-point favorite, so from Gonzaga's perspective, I do like Gonzaga. And then from the Baylor-Houston game, what I would say is kind of a couple different things. These are two really elite defensive teams, and they are elite defensive teams that do things in a different way. And so when I look at, at how these two teams are constructed, when I look at how they play, um, I see a situation with Baylor where Baylor is a really good defensive team. They just do it with their guards. Houston is really, really, really physical and they do it with their bigs. But Baylor in its own right is very physical. And that's the thing. Like I think we think because they have a bunch of guards, they're a finesse team. They're a physical power team. Ask any Arkansas fan. I know a lot of Arkansas fans listen to this show. How physical is that Baylor team? Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, Macy Oteague, they kind of punked your guys the other night. And that's fine. It's an Elite Eight. Arkansas made it. They're awesome. But Baylor was a physical team. And so I think if you can match Houston's physicality, I think you're going to have success against them. And it's interesting because Oregon State, I thought, was overwhelmed early and it took till about the end of the first half for them to be able to match the physicality. And then once they did that, they were okay. Same with uh, Houston in the second, or uh, Rutgers in the second round of the tournament. Rutgers almost beat Houston uh, because they matched their physicality. And so when I look at Baylor, I do like Baylor. They're about a five-point favorite. And I think we get Gonzaga-Baylor in the national championship. And here's the great thing. I will do a show Monday breaking down the national championship game, so I'm not going to preview who I think will win. But my two Final Four picks, I like Gonzaga to, to win by double figures, and I do like Baylor to cover that five-point spread. Wish I could give more, but we talked enough for one night, so <laughs> let me get out of here. Uh, before I do, I want to remind you, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. 
Aaron Torres, podcastquestions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. I am going to get out of here. I can't believe I talked 40 minutes. I can't believe Roy Williams is retired, honestly. But that is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel Who Hates My Voice. I will be back Monday. How about that? Previewing a national championship game.